Hello. Hello. Welcome, everybody, to the KIRP Radio Show with your boy Pudgy at NC Pudgy on Twitter, at KIRP Radio Show on the air. Uh, also, we I got my brother Rocco P with us tonight. Rocco P, how are you, brother? Very good, Pudgy. Thanks for having me. Hey, beautiful. Glad you could be with me. Uh, also, folks, check us out on iTunes out there, all my iTunes listeners, uh, iTunes.com. Just look us up, man, podcast, KIRP Radio and Show. Uh, shout out to all my West Coast folks who listen to the podcast out there. I really appreciate the love that you guys show. Uh, also got to give a shout out to everybody out there, all the KRP family, man. You guys, B-I-G in my book, uh, B-I-G-I-M-B, that's the hashtag. Give us a shout out. I'm looking for callers tonight, folks. I'm looking for people who can offer up uh, some solutions to some of the things that we're going to be talking about tonight, which is uh, we're going to talk about Eric Garner. And uh, we're going to talk about situations surrounding that. Uh, you know, we're going to go into uh, another discussion that Rocco and I also had last week, and we're going to elaborate a little bit more and talk about the state of the system, uh, some of the things that the system is doing, uh, some expectations that we have, and uh, we're going to talk about some, some things that you may not know, that you may not realize that is going on with the system as well and the state in which we interact as regular American citizens, you know, how we interact with that. But I, I, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, how folks feel about the Eric Garner incident. Uh, there's a lot of people who have been, uh, I won't say arguing, but there are people out there who don't understand uh, how there was not an indictment, how this thing is not going to have its day in court, this, this, this homicide, this murder. Uh, and there are a lot of people out there saying that it does not deserve its day in court, that it was justified uh, actions by the police in New York State. So, you know, let's talk about it, man. I, and, and, you know, we, we definitely want to talk about solutions, too. There's enough people, uh, in, in my opinion, there's enough people out there who are emotionally attached to things of this nature, my, myself included. You know, I would not exclude myself because... This is a very serious thing, I believe. It's a very serious incident, and it happened uh, caught on camera from the beginning to end, and we all saw a murder uh, committed by the New York Police Department, NYPD. It's amazing to me how people see this and how they react to what they saw. This lets me know a lot about the hearts and minds of people uh, this lets me know a lot about what folks' expectations are when it comes to dealing with the police. And uh, it also lets me know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable in society today. So, you know, we're going to talk about all of that, but I'm definitely looking for callers, 619-638-8559. We'll be taking callers in the second half of the show. So you guys gather your thoughts together and let us know how you feel. Uh, shout out to my folks out there at UNC. I see you guys, ECU, you're in the house. I see uh, Wilson NC 252. Shout out to my 252 people out there. 336 Greensboro, you're definitely in there. Uh, shout out to my coaches over there at UNCG. 
appreciate the facilities and you guys letting us use the facilities for practice. And uh, shout out to my baby, man. It's my my, my boogie, Jayla. It's my baby's birthday. Uh, not my baby, but she's my baby. 15 years old today. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, when it's your baby, it's, it's, it's going to always be your baby, no matter how old they are <laughs> and, and, and no matter what they do, you know. That's the beautiful thing about parenting, too. You know, Rocco, and, and that's something I was trying to, you know, let me just get right into it. It's, that's something I was going to say or that I have said to certain people, Rocco, about, you know, the Mike Brown incident. I said, you know, from a conservative perspective and from a conservative activist, I'll say, you know, I always think that we should stick on our principles and remove ourselves from the argument because in large part the argument is, is it, from a media standpoint, it's always the narrative of uh, the liberal media. It's always the narrative of them. So, you know, when people shape and form the argument for you, it's impossible for you to get ahead of it because whomever you're arguing with, they're usually attached to the incident that the media is displaying according to how they swayed it, okay? So a lot of the times people are only commenting off of the perception of an, of the situation and, and, and how it was displayed and how it was put out there. So, you know, a lot of the times you're arguing against the wall. No matter if you're right or wrong, it's not going to speak back to you in terms of how you're looking to be spoken back to. So, you know, I was just asking people to remove themselves from situations like that and look at it from face value, you know, look at it from a parenting standpoint. You know, no matter how right or wrong, uh, and, and I know I'm off topic going back to Mike Brown, but no matter how right or wrong this individual was, could it be, could murder or death been avoided? And, and I felt like it could have. And there's another thing that people, you know, should look at and pay attention to is that, you know, this, this child, no matter how big or small he was or how aggressive he was or nice he was, was someone's son or daughter. And when someone's child gets killed, you know, all bets are off on how their parents are going to react. You know, you ex- some people cry, some people lash out, some people scream, some people become aggressive. You know, things like that, things like losing a child takes a toll on you. Uh, to to a, to a tune that I can't even attest to. I, I don't even know, but I also know that there are people out there who have been committed to a psychiatric ward because they can't grab their hearts and minds back uh, in, in 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 the proper place. You know, after losing the child, you should never. You, no one wants their children to leave before them. You know, no one. E- even when the children put themselves in a the place to be killed, it, it's still a sad day at a funeral. So. You know, you, you can't judge situations based on how parents are going to act and how parents are going to react and the things that they say. Uh, right now, Rocco, I think what we're facing is a, a very scary uh, situation. But I, I want to go back before we get into uh, even the current time and the future time. I just want to go back a little bit, and, and I just want to ask you, uh, throughout the test of time, we've been talking about people – Spying on us, if you will. You know, people looking into, when you look at all these disclosures on social media, and now you have to do all these special things to join uh, these social sites. And they want to know, they want to be able to control your phone, and they want to have access to your email. You know, that's a scary thing to me. What In, in your mind, what's that all about in, in today's society? And, and can it be tied to any of these things that we're going through today? It's all. It's a, it's a broad, broad question. I, I generally say yes. It's been going on for a long time. When we talk about the government 
surveilling us, the public, and, you know, this whole mentality of particularly with the federal government, but then it also happens at the state and local level where they're really viewing us, uh, you know, guilty until we're proven innocent as opposed to innocent until proven guilty. And there's two broad areas of this illegal surveillance. Number one is what a lot of people are now familiar with after Edward Snowden shed light on it, and that's the electronic surveillance. Shortly after 9-11, 2001, after you know, the, our nation's greatest domestic terrorist attacks, and it, it could have started sooner, but I've certainly, I've documented it, certainly did start shortly after 9-11. Again, did it happen sooner? I don't know. But every electronic communication is surveilled. In other words, obviously there's not enough people to listen to every phone call in real time, every cell call, read every text. But the NSA... The National Security Agency, which is really, uh, that was created in the 1950s, post-World War II, and actually is uh, controlled by law. The director of the NSA has to be a general or an admiral. So that makes the situation even worse that we're under military electronic surveillance. But they built uh, a super data center. The NSA, I don't know how many employees they have, I think, in Fort Meade, Maryland, the, that's where the command and control center is. I think they've got about, it's like a little city, it's about 50,000 people. Don't quote me on that. But they have other data, they have other centers, other areas, other offices. But they built this big data center in Utah, and that's just merely a repository to record everything. So it's been admitted. I mean, everything is being recorded. So you can't think that, you know, any, certainly any phone call, any cell call, any text message, any email, they have it. Now, of course, there's certain limited ways to avoid that. You could get, uh, I think, PGP security uh, type email accounts, to certain email accounts like Startmail, startmail.com, hushmail.com. If you send an email from one Hushmail account to another or one Startmail account to another, it's automatically encrypted. But apart from that, as you mentioned, Right now, Google and Yahoo, even in their terms of service, most people don't even read them. But they make no bones about it that you know, even they, not not the, I mean, they're cooperating with the government. But even you know, the provider in, in this these cases, Yahoo and Gmail. I mean, they're, they're saying you have no right. Yeah, that's that's theirs. Okay, so yeah, if if you don't care, that's fine. Yeah, you use those services. But that's the electronic surveillance. I mean, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. That's been going on. Uh, but then we also have this area of human, basically, you know, human surveillance, I mean, you know, physical spying. This is kind of tied to, you know, the aggressiveness of law enforcement, the police state, and the militarization of the police in one sense. We, we have, we've had a number of federal programs uh, that have come to light back starting in the 1950s. This came out in Congress in 1971. The FBI had a program called COINTELPRO. It's kind of like an acronym or a nickname for a counterintelligence program. And it started out real, where really after the Supreme Court said that, you know, the U.S. government, they couldn't really, uh, they couldn't just basically say the Communist Party was illegal and to spy on them. So then the FBI found the ways around it. But as always, it wasn't just for people that were declaring that, you know, they wanted to change the government of the U.S. I mean, anti-war groups were then surveilled by counterintelligence programs. And that whole that whole program, I mean, it was that was just one program and it was by the FBI, but it was huge in the scope of 
of what COINTELPRO did. They wanted to disrupt and neutralize who they targeted, certain groups and individuals. So, you know, I'm quoting, on, quoting from an article now. It says, the techniques were adopted wholesale from wartime counterintelligence. So, again, the tactics the federal government was using, military tactics. And it ranged from the trivial mailing reprints of certain articles to college administrators to the degrading sending anonymous poison pen letters intended to break up marriages and to the dangerous okay. encouraging gang warfare and falsely labeling members of a violent group as police informers. So more than 20,000 pages got declassified and that, that they just looked into about maybe 2,000 approved uh, COINTELPRO operations or actions. But yeah, that was just like, you think about that was one federal agency. Now we fast forward yeah, to 2014, and we find out that federal agents, federal agencies all over the place, and most of them are unconstitutional. In other words, we look at Article 1, Section 8, the so-called enumerated powers of Congress. Yeah, if, if you could argue, say, is there a constitutional basis for even law enforcement, perhaps you could say, but would have to be uh, enforcing federal laws that are clear that exist within the Constitution. So you say, okay, counterfeiting. Yeah, there might be a, there, there's a basis, a border protection. There'd be a basis, but now we have this piece came out in New York Times uh, back in uh, November 15th. There's over there's at least 40 agencies, 40 federal agencies that are posing where federal agents pose as business people, welfare recipients, political protesters and even doctors or ministers, and they do that allegedly to find wrongdoing. So we've got at least 40 agencies that are admitting that are involved in you know, putting putting these efforts in to spy on us. So you have to say all this is not about terrorism. A lot, a lot of this stuff was initiated again after 9-11, and the idea was, okay, the U.S. was hit, so now we have to respond and it's a different debate. We, we, won't, we can't get into it tonight due to time constraints. But, yeah, if, if the question was posed, did the federal government have enough tools at their disposal to stop 9-11, I would say uh, clearly, undeniably, yes, unambiguously, yes. But, again, we can't get into that. But the point is you accept this premise that, yeah, this happened. So then no one in the federal government is held accountable for the worst attack, interna- terrorist attack in the nation's history. No one loses their job in the federal government. No one loses their job in the military. But instead, they set up this apparatus. They set up the Department of Homeland Security. They consolidate more power. They passed the Patriot Act. Uh, later on, you know, they passed the National Defense Authorization Act in 20, 2012, I believe, that said they can make any of us disappear or even kill any U.S. citizen anywhere in the world based upon secret evidence. So this, this is the stuff they've gotten into. But when you look at this surveillance and, and all these agencies are involved in it, uh, it, it's crazy what they're doing. And this, the New York Times piece was good in that they also admitted there's, there's virtually no oversight on this from Congress. So you have who knows how much money being spent by at least 40 federal agencies to impersonate people. And you know, for, for what? I mean, what, what are they really... What are they going after? I mean, what, what are they finding? I mean, it's it, it's ridiculous. Here's one quote from the Times piece. At convenience stores, for example, undercover agents, sometimes using actual miners as decoys, look for illegal alcohol and cigarette sales. Records show. At the education department, 
undercover agents to the Office of Inspector General infiltrate federally funded education programs looking for, for, for financial fraud. Medicare investigators sometimes pose as patients to gather evidence against healthcare providers. Officers at the Small Business Administration, NASA, and the Smithsonian do undercover work as well. So you, talk, you think about that for a second. I mean, and ties into you know what happened to yeah this individual is in Staten Island, right? Who uh, you know who was strangled to death. Okay, and we have this this piece again saying some federal agents are looking for illegal alcohol and cigarette sales. <laughs> again, right now the federal government doesn't even keep numbers of the illegal aliens that are literally murdering and raping U.S. citizens. That's not important but they're going to go after illegal alcohol and cigarette sales. So, you know, what's wrong with this picture? What we see is the big picture, in my, in my opinion, is we see not just the militarization of the police. We see the military basically influencing law enfor- federal law enforcement and then federal law enforcement obviously influencing and militarizing local, local and state police departments. And it's all aimed at making the police believe, and there's a lot of federal training to this effect, that the U.S. public is their enemy. So yeah. you see what happened in, in Long Island. To me, and, and you're a student of Pudge, you know, you know what they're trying. They're, they try to make everything racial. And I would argue the same thing with Michael Brown. We we have to look at what the police are doing and step up aside, you know, step away from the emotion that's incited by making it racial because, again, you look at Michael Brown, I think thing I said before, you have, if the officer was black and you shot him, no one cares. Okay, if Michael Brown was white, shot by a white officer, no one cares. But then they, they yeah. interject race. In, in New York, I, I said this last week, the New York police for years have been given military-style training by different contractors. Yeah. So this is why when they fire their guns in particular, they just, you know, the bullet, they empty their they empty their magazines, which is crazy. But this is how they've been trained. So you get to this case, you get to this case, what happened on Staten Island. Okay, what do I think happened? Uh, first off, we can't change the law. But is it really, is it that bad, again, that someone is selling loose cigarettes? I mean, the police have better things to do in Staten Island. Okay, that, that's the first thing. But we can't change the law, so that's the law. So they approach him. He did resist the rest. Okay, you have to, you, you're not allowed, I mean, you're not allowed to resist arrest. So, allegedly then, I mean, they have, they have to arrest them. Okay, the police, that's the way the police are trained. Okay, now, they arrest them. When the guy is saying he can't breathe, I mean, there's enough people there. Could they not re- have restrained him some other way? Could, did they have enough guys there? Could they simply have handcuffed him? I think they could have. So, I wouldn't necessarily say, and again, he's not going to get, you know, his family's not going to get his day in court. So I wouldn't necessarily say it was murder. You couldn't prove that they intended to kill him. But I think you'd have a case for manslaughter. I mean, involuntary. Uh, He restrained them. The guy died. (laughs) He said he couldn't breathe. So uh, this is is a big problem again. In New York City, I think I might have mentioned this before, the police are very, very aggressive, not just due to their training, but... Yeah, Staten Island is, I believe, one of the five boroughs, so you look at the way it works in New York City. Uh, the, the people are largely disarmed, and when that happens, this is the case in New York City, this is the case in New Jersey, this is the ca- case in Chicago. When the people are disarmed, 
the police really have free reign because what fear do they really have of any of you know any reprisals or retaliation? I mean, and I'm I would never advocate uh, you know violence against the police, but the point is it does affect their mentality when they know. I mean, who's the only people that have guns? Or you know the criminal elements they work with in in those places in New Jersey, New York, and New York City and Chicago, and uh, yeah, the, the police themselves that oftentimes are largely corrupt. I mean, you you go back to the 70s with Frank Serpico. I don't know if you ever saw that movie with Al Pacino, and it was based upon a true story. And Frank Serpico said back then in the 70s, and it led to whole led to a bunch of investigations. But it was Frank Serpico's testimony at the time that every narcotics cop that he knew was basically in on they were in on the take. I mean, they were cooperating with the criminals. So this is these are the type of things that happen. I mean, the uh, the, the jury system too it seems very corrupt. I mean, the, the the criminal justice system, not not apart from the police, also seems extremely corrupt in New York. I mean, across the country, it appears very difficult to convict the police of wrongful actions. And, uh, I mean, in this case, uh, if, if they're not, I mean, like what happens in Staten Island, if there's not cause for, if the grand jury says, okay, there's no need for an indictment here again, you know, where, when, when does a police, when do the police ever get charged in New York? I mean, it seems like they have, I believe you could make the argument in the past, I mean, they have gotten over with murder, and, you know, actual murder more than once. I mean, someone doesn't comply, uh, yeah, they, they just shoot. <laughs> I mean, they shoot where the person's armed or not if they feel threatened. <laughs> so there's a lot of issues. But, uh, again, we have to step back and not let the powers that be manipulate us emotionally over the races. And we have to look at the big issue and say, is it legal based upon the Constitution, Fourth Amendment? Is any of this surveillance legal? No, it's not. And are the police being trained? Are the police being federalized? Yes, that's dangerous. We have to preserve the original intent of the Constitution. We have to have a federal system. The local law enforcement should be independent of the federal government. The state police should be independent of the federal government. So we have to really investigate and expose the training that they're getting, particularly in New York, this military-style training and the tactics they're using. And, uh, again, it, it's not it's not just racial. Uh, I think the New York, the New York, the NYPD indiscriminately will shoot at people <laughs> if they feel threatened. Uh, indiscriminate race, and yeah, you know, this is this is a huge issue. Uh, it happens in other places too. And uh, one, one simple solution to this is to liberalize the gun laws. Again, you wouldn't see, in my opinion, you would not see this type of activity. You wouldn't see police as aggressive if the people were armed in New York City. Same thing in Chicago. You just, and certainly there'd be less crime overall. The studies have shown that when when they when when Florida, for example, liberalized their gun law when they. Uh, when they made it legal to carry concealed, within one year, homicide was down 25%. Uh, I mean, you see, you see that time and time again. So one simple solution to a lot of this is let the people be armed. I trust people with guns. I really do. I mean, I, I trust most police with guns, but I think the police, regardless of how badly they're trained, would be persuaded to act more more responsibly if they knew other people were armed, if if the people were armed. But sad to say, uh, that's not the case. As I mean, you see what's going on too in New York State, in Connecticut. I mean, they're just they can't get the guns out of the people's hands at once. So they've been very effective at just doing it in- incrementally, bit by bit. Some gun some uh, gun rights activists have said it's death by a thousand cuts. And uh, since 1968, 
That's when the federal government, without a constitutional basis, that's when they passed around the Bispo Gun Control Act, and that's when they started saying, okay, and now we have this federal agency without any authority, BATFE, without any constitutional authority. We said, we're going we're gonna to license gun dealers. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the people, the people lose. Consistently, we see the number of gun dealers is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's just another way to get guns out of the hands of the people. You don't have to pass the law making guns illegal. You just make it so incredibly difficult to legally operate to comply with the BATFE standards that you know, people say, well, I can't sell guns. So then where do you get where do you get firearms? Before nineteen sixty eight, I mean you could walk into you go into a hardware store. I mean you can get a gun, you know, get get a hammer, get nails, uh, get a saw. <laughs> and uh yeah, you know, that's really the way it should be. All there should be no federal laws concerning firearms, but we have a Congress that refuses uh Congress as well as the courts that refused to abide by the, the clear original intent of the Second Amendment. Again, the Second Amendment was negative affirmation. It just confirmed that there were certain areas, there were this idea of individual rights, rights given by God. The government recognizes them, that God-given. If you don't believe in God, they're natural rights. You have them due to the fact that you're a human. And it says there's certain, certain areas we have rights as individuals, and the federal government cannot be involved in that. And one of those should be firearms. But again, it's uh, it's this incrementalism again. It's death by a thousand cuts. You start to let the federal government slowly take away our natural right to self-defense, and what do you get over time? You get some very aggressive police departments, and uh, there's just <laughs> there's very little checks. I mean, in 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 the judicial system, it seems like in New York in particular, very difficult. It seems near impossible to ever charge a police officer with a crime. Uh, the Wall Street Journal came out with a piece last week saying that, and now I want to I want to clarify this. I really don't think the federal government should be involved. It's really this is a neoliberal uh, notion that we need that the federal government can be trusted if there's a problem, like whether it's in Ferguson or wherever. No, no, no. The federal government invariably will make any situation worse. But in any case, there's supposed there's supposed to be numbers the FBI keeps as far as police shootings. Wall Street Journal did their own investigation, found at least 550 police shootings that result in deaths aren't even reported. So again, I'm not. I don't believe our our solution is to decentralize power. It's to empower local and state government and to get away from federal control. But just to show an example, another example that they have these rules supposedly, and. At least 550 police shootings. They're not even being reported all over the place. And what it comes down to, a lot of the police protect their own, and they say, well, if a police shoots someone, it's justified. So we don't have to report that. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. It, you, you know, you said a lot, first of all. And I don't know if a lot of people can compute everything that you said. I, I would challenge people to go back and listen to a lot that you said and take some notes and research some of those things, some of those points that you made and some of those references too. Uh, that's what I like to do when I listen to a lot of talk radio. I like to look up reference points. And a lot of the times, no, no knock to you, Rocco, a lot of the times sure. people don't know what the hell they're talking about. One of the greatest reasons that I have uh, Rocco on this show, folks, is because this guy is well-studied. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, a lot of the things that he said, he sent me points on prior to this show. And, and and that's something that don't happen all the time. And I really appreciate uh, what you bring to the table, Rocco. I just want to let you know that before the world. 
I appreciate what you bring to the table Thanks. and how well studied you are and uh how how precise you are, how how uh consistent you are. And uh consistent is something that I'm not finding uh right now. I'm I'm gonna be very blunt, so I hope I don't offend you, Rocco. And I'll definitely Never. be very blunt to the world. Um when I look at comments and conversation pieces that I'm privy to where folks sometimes don't even realize that I'm paying attention. Uh, when I look at those things, because I, first of all, let me backtrack. I agree uh, that a lot of these issues aren't always a black versus white or white versus black issue. Okay. I don't look at all these issues as the oppressor down on, got his boot on the black man's neck. I don't look at that. But I will say, if you look at statistics and if you just simply pay attention, take st- statistics aside, if you just really pay attention, uh, there is a racial element to a lot of the things that we're seeing today. And because there are, uh, or, or because that does exist, you know, there are people out there who are, number one, looking for the first uh, racial divide or racial incident that it will come across. But there are also people out there who are fair and balanced that are just simply paying attention saying, you know what, I thought we were past this, but here we are again. And I'm one of those people. You know, I'm one of those people who don't give anyone a pass. Uh, I don't care if you're black, blue, green, or purple, man or woman. You don't get a pass. It is what it is. I don't even give myself a pass. You can damn sure forget about me giving you a pass. So (laughs) a lot of these conversations that I'm seeing uh, in in different groups that I'm involved in that are – that are 99.5% uh, non-black groups uh, because that's just how I kick it and I deal with everybody. So it is what it is for you black folks out there who don't like that. I have several groups of friends that don't don't concern most of us, but it is what it is. We have something in common. Anyway, uh, when, I, when I stroll through those uh, social media pages and those conversations and I talk to those people, uh, I can't help Rocco but notice the lack of discernment that goes on with issues such as this Eric Garner uh uh situation. This travesty, man, this this travesty. You know, and and, and I I just want to go back to before I even go into that, let me go back one more time and say, you know, the reason I call this murder, you know, I always have a reason for the, the words that I choose majority of the time. The reason that I call this murder because it's simply this. If there were a man and a woman dating, okay, and they were behind closed doors, the minute, and, and, and let's say the minute that they begin to get intimate and hot and heavy, you know, there's touching going on, there's kissing going on, and, 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 and the mood is right, okay? The mood is right for sexual intercourse. Grown people do what grown people do, all right? Now, the minute that that woman says, wait, no, I don't think I'm ready to do this. And the man continues on. And then she says again, wait, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. And then he continues on. And if she continues, and not even if, but if you go back to the very first time that she said no and that she verbally let him know, or, or even physically let him know that she didn't want to partake in sexual intercourse with him, or she even changed her mind right, Johnny, on the spot. If he continued on, that would be rape, without a question. Without a question in anyone's mind, without a question in my mind, that's rape. 
So when I look at this Eric Garner incident and I see this man saying, I can't breathe, 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 I can't breathe. You know, when you hear that, Rocco, that says stop. That says no. That means something is is going wrong. Now, I don't care. It's illegal. Right. I'm sorry. It's a legal it's a legal justification again because and again I'm not gonna defend the law, but it is the law. Okay, yeah, he's selling cigarettes illegal. Okay, that's the yeah. law. But when someone restrained yeah, you know, they they had to do something because if there is grounds there was a grounds to arrest them. Again, well I'm not gonna defend the law, Absolutely. but that is the law. Okay, so there is a grounds. Absolutely. But this is this is the know. rubbing point. Yeah, well not that I mean he, he he did resist, but this is where I think I would say I would say you could argue and he's never gonna get we're never gonna have the court trial. But I would argue this is that okay, you had more than one police officer there. We we established legally you had a right to arrest him, he resisted, fine. At that point the question would have to be asked, why did you choose that that specific hold? And then the other issue which you said which is more important is once an individual is saying they can't breathe, why did it persist? You had enough guys there, like I said, why couldn't he have simply been cuffed? I mean it's like with Rodney King, you know, uh <laughs> I mean they're beating the guy for a while. Yeah. I mean there's no there's yeah. no purpose. Yeah. Uh so so I'm just saying to me and I'm no lawyer, but there's uh it's the legal premise again that you can't if someone resists, you, I mean, the police have to do something. But was it justified? Again, like you said, if someone's saying they can't breathe, okay, could he have been lying? Yeah, now, I mean, we know, unfortunately, now he wasn't. But let's say he was. To me, we're never going to find this question answered in court. But the question I would pose then is, you had enough people there, other you could have done something else. Why not simply handcuff him? What, what? I mean... <laughs> even even more... Even more uh, um... Let's look at it from a professional standpoint, okay? Even if he was lying, did your life feel threatened, officer? You know, that, I think that's a question that you should ask. Right. You know, even if this guy was resisting arrest, okay, he was resisting arrest. He would not comply when they said comply in that moment. That means you're resisting arrest. I read the definition. I get it. Okay, so at that point, when you have at least five officers around, I'm not, I don't know the count. There were at least five people there. Um, at that point that the man says he can't breathe and that one particular officer continues on, that instantly makes them an accessory because if it's me and you, Rocco, and two more people or three more people, and I begin to do something to someone, even in the, in the defense for myself, for my life, okay, even in the defense for myself, according to the light of the law, and you guys allow me to continue beating this individual who even jumped on me, Okay, with a weapon or with my hand or whatever, and this guy goes, okay, I give up, I'm, 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 I quit, I can't breathe. If I continue to choke someone out, I'm going to prison. What well, right? I'm going to the, prison for murder, issue, and you're right, an accessory. It, right. The, the, issue, the issue is different over the police again, and I'm not, I'm not defending their actions, but I'm saying legally they do have those police powers. So because they're performing police duties, they come up to him. That they catch him, yeah, breaking the law, yeah, this horrible crime of selling loose cigarettes, but it is the law there. And then, yeah, they want they want they attempt to arrest him. 
uh, and then he resists, they do have right as police again, then they are obligated based upon their training, which I think, I mean, they had to then arrest him somehow. The sticking point again, and we're never going to hear this in, in a jury trial, and I think we should have, is why did you continue to restrain him at that point? There was no need in my mind. I mean, there was no need. Yeah, when you had, like you said, when there was other people there, there was no need. They could have arrested him without him continuing that, that, you know, that particular you know, choke. There was no need. So their defense, and again, I'm not saying it was right, but their defense was he broke the law. Uh, we attempted to arrest, arrest him. We resisted him. There was no intent on the police officer to use lethal force. He was just trying to restrain him to arrest him. And then he died accidentally. That's what they would say. But, I mean, I agree with you to the extent that when, when someone is saying, this goes back to their training, that it is extremely aggressive in New York. If someone's saying they can't breathe, and as you mentioned, I mean, what is being lost in the police officer's life? No one was being threatened. You head back up there. Why did he continue to choke him? That that question's never going to get answered. Yeah, you have you because and they are they are allowed to to uh, apprehend uh, any individual who's resisting arrest, but it ends at right. excessive force. It ends at excessive right. force. They're never allowed to use excessive force. They're allowed to use right. lethal force in in situations that warrant lethal action, but they're not Absolutely. allowed to use excessive force in right, in right. its situations such as this. One. Right. Right, and again, uh, they they would argue. Really... Right, they would argue that he wasn't using excessive relief of force. He was merely attempting to restrain him, and it was just an accident. I mean, that that's what he would argue. But again, that begs the question that when you had when you had sufficient all the police officers there, why was that restraint? In other words, he wasn't going to escape. What were you going to risk then if you stopped choking him and handcuffed him at that point? What was that risk? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let's go to a call out of the 919. Sure. I got several of you guys. Last three Good. digits, 204. You're on the air with Pudgy and Rocco. What's up? Hey, Pudgy, this is Kelly. How are you? Hey, Kelly, how you doing? I'm good. I, you know, I just had to call in and weigh in on this. Um, I didn't join the show right at 8, but I wanted to, um, you know, discuss. We've talked. Um, I, I thank you uh, for the gentleman that's talking, but I hear him saying, you know, what the police have the right to. I hear that him saying um, what their training is, and I do understand that this is not per se a defense of this specific case, but in 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 talking about how they're trained in general. But my thing is this, what right does the citizen have? You know, because we're we're looking at incidents, that you know where we where the media um has shown them where they've been exposed um to the public eye, you know, and even my pastor in church he said, "Look, you know we have a school at my church, and he says, "Hey, I want to make sure you you everybody you young people understand that if you come into contact with the cops that they are the authority in that situation, and you do what they say, however, what about when you're not guilty of a crime. What about when you are innocent and you are targeted by, um, Lenny McAllister put it today, a rogue cop? Because I, I believe most police officers want to, to clock in, do their job, and then go home to see their families 
and they're able to put their personal prejudices and biases behind them to do that. I think everybody has personal prejudices and bias, not all of them racial, and they're able to do whatever they need to do um, to do their job. But what about the situations that we don't hear about as often where you followed instructions and you were still a victim? That's the thing. Rogue cops are making law-abiding citizens victims. And in this case, um, in the uh, in the decision in New York, this guy happened to be selling loose cigarettes. But let's be honest, had he made it to a court, there was no court in the land that would have given him death for that crime. No court right. in the land. You know, and so to have the cop be judge, jury, and executioner in this situation, it can't be. And then the thing is, if it, if, if we allow it to be for him, when does it come for all of us? You know, we I, I see now in this country an erosion in our rights, and we've been talking about this in the black community since before 91. I was just sharing that with a friend. I think that's when the Rodney King beating happened. Well, that was the first time somebody held a mirror up to America and said, hey, these are your police. This is what they've been doing. We've always known this. Now he, he, now it's mainstream. Let's talk about it. We talked about it, but it never stopped happening. It never stopped happening. You know, so I wanted to share my views on that and then see what you all think about, you know, what I've just said. Well, I mean, yeah. let me go first, Rocco. I, okay. I I think it, it's 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 amazing. You said where do we go from here, and, and what's going to happen? Because that's that's a conversation that Rocco and I had uh, uh, prior to this show, and and you know what what about us, Kelly? You know that that's a question that I ask. Like, what about us when we're innocent? Because you know I've been approached personally several times by police, and uh, a lot of the times they come off extra extra aggressive. And I'm always the nicest guy in the room until you piss me off and give me a reason not to be. Uh, so what I see is that we have to go above and beyond to maintain our cool so that they won't uh, inflict any kind of harm or or, or, or or kill us, if you will. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's almost like what about us? Who's policing the police? Who's monitoring the police? Well, the question that I ask all people, and, and shout out to my Tea Party people, but I got a question for all you all as well. You know, when is the time that you're going to say enough is enough and you're going to pick up your guns and have to defend your own uh, freedom and liberty? You know, when is that time going to come? Is it going to be a time, as, as, you know, Rocco and I said today, is it going to be a knock on your door when they come to take your guns away? Because, I, frankly, I don't think that will ever happen. I believe, like you said, Kelly, I think incidents such as these will continue to go on and go on, and they'll take a little bit of your freedom away, and they'll legislate a little bit of your freedom away, they'll change things, and before you know it, we don't have many or any guns. We don't have many or any rights. We are getting the crap beat out of us. We are getting killed, and these guys are getting off over and over and over and over and over again. I think this is the future, the reality that we're facing, and I don't see anything changing because, frankly, no one has any solutions. Everybody's talking about a revolution. We're going to have to fight one day, but nobody's offering solutions. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine from South Carolina and another friend of mine from Florida, 
And I was saying the only way that we can really beat this is by money. And it's a damn shame that that's the only way. But the only way that we can beat this is money, revenue. You know, stop paying our state taxes. Uh, do what we have to do. We have to beat them at their own game. And, see, they're going to be ready to put you in jail by that. But it's a process in, in, in which you can do it. And it's a process that they have to go by before they can even say, hey, you owe us this money. You have to pay this money. See, even if we pay it late, man, it, it, it's just so much I can go into with that. But all I can say is that we have to beat them at their own game. And it's not going to be shooting back at them. You know, for everybody who really thinks that we're going to be able to take up arms against the United States military or the local police department without a lot of us and our children dying in right before our eyes and finally people saying, I give up, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. But there's definitely a lot more of us than it is of them. Marching ain't going to do it. Taking up your arms ain't got to do it. But we damn sure have to do something because this is getting out of hand. I think I think you know talk about rogue cops there's there's two things I mean we talk about a political some political measures and what to do at the personal level the political solution in part is strong state laws uh making it crystal clear that state that local municipalities I mean New York New York I mean North Carolina for example could pass a law North Carolina could pass a law when they're in session saying uh no no police department in North Carolina will accept any federal funds for training and uh, again cut 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 the head off the beast i have no problem with the smaller leaner police department get rid of the federal funds for training get rid of the federal training get rid of the federal arms get rid of the the armored personnel carriers uh, we don't need SWAT teams in a lot most municipalities get rid of it all so th- that's a political thing as far as the individual question caller had a great point what do you do with a rogue cop it's very hard uh, in any in any situation. If an individual, if you're going to, we could debate. Okay, to say if something happens, uh, so we won't debate the law. If a police officer says you're under arrest, it may be bogus. I would say at the individual level, you have to comply and uh, hope for the best. Because if you resist, uh, you may walk away. But uh, we know police obviously protect one another. Uh, they talk about what's that the uh, <laughs> the code of silence and all, and it's just not going to go well. So to me, there's there's a risk in any line of action, but I think there's a far greater risk if you don't comply. I would say I would comply if it was an unlawful request. I would comply, and then you know, hope you see your day in court. But it, it is uh, it is a problem. I mean, there aren't there is not an easy solution at the individual level. I think in most cases, cool heads will prevail. In most cases, if you treat a law officer respectfully. Uh, things will go well. If uh, you don't treat them respectfully, things are not going to go well. But there's no real easy answer because, I mean, sometimes obviously cr- police do cross the lines. And uh, it's a very hard thing if, if you're if you're in the process. I mean, if you know, a police officer is about to do something or is going to do something illegal towards you, you but see something illegal. But what about crimes while white? You, have you seen this movement of, on Twitter where it talks about they 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 you have this hashtag, and I, I I don't use Twitter, but I've been reading about this, where they you hashtag crime while white, and white people on Twitter talk about crimes that they have gotten away with, punched police, drove their friends home, um, they were involved in some type of robbery, only the black kid got a charge, those types of things. So 
I hear what you're saying. You know, the, the hope it, with any situation, no matter what mistake you might have made, is that you walk away with your life. But to hear, it's just the fact that someone who looks like me may have less of a chance, whether you're respectful or disrespectful. And if, if you're disrespectful towards a cop, that still does not give them the right to kill you. It does not give them the right just because they've had a bad day. I mean, because that's the same thing with people who have a concealed to carry, which I, I believe in the right to bear arms. I believe um, that 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 makes creates a polite society. But a person who has their concealed to carry can't just shoot someone because they got disrespected over a parking space in Walmart. You know, so no, no. Of, of again, I hear what but, you're saying, but what about the th- what about the times when you know, I, and I've known friends that say, yeah, you know, to to curse cops. I would never do that because I was actually raised with a respect of the law. I was raised um, growing up, you know, if you don't do crimes, you shouldn't have run-ins with the cops. But if you do, this is how you, you know, handle this situation. You know, but there are people who don't, and they have more than a reasonable expectation to walk away with their lives when they when they see cops. You know, I mean, it, it, I, I, you know I, what's I, funny about that too, okay. Kelly. I, 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 excuse me, Rocco. I, I was raised yeah, like that ahead. too. Um, but early on in my life, things changed because of where I grew up and 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 uh, you know just the surroundings. It, it, it was what it was. Like we in, in my neighborhood, we respected the police. We didn't do anything. I mean, the police was you know they were the people you just didn't mess with. You just didn't f with the police. That's just what it was, right? But I remember being. And, and, and this, I'm, I'm going into the story for a reason because I definitely have something to say, and I'm looking for a lot of people to quote me on this because it's just a freaking truth. Um, growing up, I was walking up the street with a cousin of mine, and I think I was maybe 9 or 10 years old, okay, a kid. And my cousin was maybe 13 or 14 years old. And we're just walking. It's probably dust dark, 8 or, eight or 9 o'clock in the summer. All right, we're on the way to my grandma's house where we all live. And we got stopped by police. He pulled in front of us. I mean, he pulled his car. He waited for us to cross uh, a, a street intersection, and he pulled in front of us. He whipped in front of us, almost driving over our feet, okay? He jumped out of the car, and he said, get on the car, and he threw us on the car. And, uh, you know, my hands were, were, were red because the, the hood of the car was so hot, old Crown Victoria. And, and I'm like, oh, it's hot. And I put my, took my hands off the car, and he grabbed up his time, and he didn't hit me. But he, he slammed his baton beside the car as if saying, you better put your hands back on the car or I'm going to hit you with this nightstick. And he patted us down, and then he said, get out of here and go home. Send us on our way, right? Jumped back in the car, and he drove off. Didn't say why. And and we were young. We it, There was no – I didn't even know what to say. I didn't know how to say, you know, uh, why are you doing this to me or none of that, you know, because – I just didn't. I was too young to even realize what was really, you know, happening. So as I look back into that one incident, that's that's just one incident. I, I recall another incident when I was driving down the street, brand new Nissan Maxima that I had. I was going through a neighborhood that I knew and a lot of people know. If you ain't sugarcoating shit, you know damn well some neighborhoods you just don't drive down at some times of the day. And I was going through one of those neighborhoods on my way home. Anyway, uh, my friend Hernandez and I, we got pulled over, Park Avenue. We got pulled over. 
and uh, it made uh, Hernandez. No, I, I was giving my license. They were running my license and whatnot. He was like, uh, you know, we, we had a car like this reporter stolen. This was a Sunday morning. I'm going, okay, well, this is my car. You know, here's my information. So the cop on the other side tells, on my side, tells Hernandez to get out of the car. His partner was on the passenger side, standing out, watching the car on the, on the side of the street. So as the cop on my side who's reading my license tells my partner to get out of the car, his partner draws down on him. Get out, get out, get out, get out. I'll shoot, I'll shoot, I'll shoot. Be still, be still. Get on the ground. It's because they weren't communicating properly. So those are just two incidents out of many that I could go into. But I, and, and I said all that just to say this, right? I'm a black conservative, proud, because of the principles that the conservative party has adopted that I believe are true. And, and, and those principles reflect uh, uh, how I was raised and, and the proper way to live, I believe. But Kelly and Rocco, we can't forget black people. Let me tell y'all something. Y'all can't forget that we are minorities in America. <laughs> like you, 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 you gotta be a fool, you know, to not realize that we're, we're not, you know, we're minorities in America. Like, you got to realize that your black ass is still black. And and you'll always be, and, and, and when you're a minority in anything, by definition of the word now, when you're a minority to anything, that means you're outgunned. That means you're outnumbered. That means you stick out. That means people are paying attention more to you because you don't look like the surroundings or you don't fit in the surroundings or you don't look like the structure or the type of people or what may have you that are here, that exist here. You know what I mean? You're a black apple in a bunch of green apples or a red apple in a, in a barrel of green apples. You're noticed. You stick out. And see, despite how far we get uh, uh, in, 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 in racial issues in America, despite how far we get, that will always hold true. We will always only be 14, 15, less than 20% of the population in America. You know, for years and years coming, we will, for centuries ahead, that's who we'll be. So we can't forget the fact that that is just the damn truth. So sometimes we got to realize, okay, that we're not going to be treated fairly. You know, for a lot of people out there, they go, you know, racism don't exist no more. Racism don't exist no more. And these are, in large part, most a lot of black conservatives with a lot of their whack asses and a lot of white people in general who didn't have anything to do with the slave trade or anything to do with the slave era. A lot of white people I know, they feel so damn embarrassed or they feel so bad about what their ancestors might have did to our ancestors. And I tell them, look, you need to get over it your damn self. You ain't do nothing to me or my ancestors, not you. Just because your ancestors did, but I can't change the fact that we're in a post-slavery America where black people were slaves in this country, and we're always going to be looked at. There's always going to be a stigma. There's always going to be something there in terms to race relations with black people opposed to white people in this country because this is our history. And another thing I want to say, and then I'll, I'll go, Rocco, and I'm going to let you talk, brother, but another thing I want to say to a lot of black conservatives out there Y'all got to stop shucking and jiving and stop telling the truth, man. You know, you got to start telling the truth about what's going on and, and how you walk in some of these tea parties or some of these Republican groups or, or to, and, and some of these Republican places or even, or even 
because we know blacks are largely Democrats. So I'm just calling it what it is. I don't care who don't like it. This is just the truth. Or even when you go in places where there's no one that looks like you, I've been in several places to speak to the whole damn place and everybody that's in the building, and I can't even get a hello, how you doing, until they find out I'm the keynote. So I realize that these things are happening. I realize that this is just reality, and it's going to always be. What we have to change is the narrative, and we have to start controlling the conversation, and we have to start saying, hey, these things do exist, but here's what matter, and here's how we can get ahead. Until we start doing that, people are always going to laugh every time a black person put the black uh, uh, population down. You know, people are always going to hooray, hooray for black conservatives every time they just give it to black Americans. And sometimes we deserve it. On some topics, it is justified to say and to speak on and just give it to our own people because in the large part, in a lot of situations, we do need to change what we do. But at the same time, when you have situations such as these that are clearly displayed right here in our face, you got to tell the truth about that as well. You can't always kiss somebody's ass just to get a like, a, a hooray, or to come speak over here, or a pat on the damn back. We got to stop looking at people as though we need somebody else's confirmation. And if you tell the truth and live your life loving everybody and not hating anybody, but not avoiding what is reality, everything will be all right. And some things will get a lot better. But, Kelly, to sum it all up, and Rocco, to sum it all up, until people like me, Okay, and and people with a voice until they start telling the truth about what's going on out here and not using race as the only issue all the time, for better or for worse, things are going to remain the same. It's not going to change because some people have been been told that it's okay, it's nothing wrong in the first place. And that's a part of the problem that we that we we live in today. I'm sorry, Rocco, I was a little bit long there, brother. No, it's, it's all good. Uh, it's not it's not a denial, obviously. I think most people wouldn't deny, yeah, there is racism in some forms, but the issue is uh, we can't let them divide us over racism, real, real or imagined, and we have to look at the bigger pictures. Like I said before, and I'll say it again, with the NYPD, you look at their history, you could just do a start page, startpage.com search, or a DuckDuckGo search, and say, you know, NYPD violence, NYPD shootings, uh, NYPD shooting people, and yet they will indiscriminately kill people. When someone's shot black or white uh, in a wrongful way, we all lose as individuals, and we have to realize that we have a rights as individuals, not as part of a group. And we know the people. I know who I'm talking to, Pudgy. We know we know Al Sharpton. We know who he is. We know he was an FBI informant. We know about Tawana Brawley. Yeah, he's as real as a $3 bill. We know Jesse Jackson's a fraud. He's been discredited. And they won't talk about the real issues in terms of black genocide. They won't talk about the fact that 40% of black babies are aborted. They won't talk about right. the fact that more black babies are aborted in New York City than are born. So there's dynamic racial issues out there, but the powers that be aren't. And so they're not going to talk about them, so you and I have to. But if we look at things in terms of individual rights, not the group dynamic, and realize that we have a rights as individuals, and when any person of any background, of any race, loses, when their rights are violated, we all lose, but they don't want to see it like that. They want to keep us polarized because 
then they can keep us divided and we continue, you know, the program goes on and we continue to lose our rights. And we got we to gotta change that narrative. It's individual rights. And uh, once one person's, one person's rights is violated, we're all at risk. That's real. Sorry, sorry about that, Rocco. I didn't, I didn't realize you were finished. I thought I lost you for a second. Yeah. 619-638-8559, talking about Eric Garner, post-race society, race society, we're talking about rights. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's so much going on, man. It, it's so much going on, and I'm just sick of people lying. You know, I'm sick of people making excuses. You know, sometimes it is what it is, just like it's not what it's not. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes we look at situations and – it's not racism, but, you know, sometimes we look at it and, and there are bigots. You know, it is racism. I, I, I remember when Trayvon Martin, you know, that whole debacle was going on. And, and, and I remember, you know, watching people who I assume were friends of mine, you know, saying that, you know, it should have been more of them dead, to quote. Or there should have been, uh, I think that his girlfriend was on the stand, and, and I didn't watch that. I, I didn't watch that at all. And because I, I I knew what time that was. Like I I didn't watch that. I I knew that was for ratings, right? I, I knew that was a televised programming type of deal. I, I didn't watch it at all, but I, I didn't have to watch it because you know I had some people who whom I also thought were my friends, and and, and I read some of their comments on social media how saying that you know a monkey could talk better than that, or you could train a a, a chimp to do better than that, or things like well well they should have killed her too, you know who let her talk, you know things like that. See, see, these are things that we we see, man. These are things that 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 take a toll on a human mind. And, you know, I, I had a thought, and I hadn't finished writing. I'm going to write some hiphopconservative.wordpress.com. Check out some of my blogs on there. Forget the typos. You better read it like it is. I, I don't do a lot of editing on that. I just write and let it go. Well, a lot of times it's voice talking uh, to text. But anyway, I was in the middle of a thought, Rocco, and something that I was going to write, and I was just going to say to everybody, and, and you too, Kelly, I think this is very important that, you know, folks put this word out or put this in someone's ear. Uh, when we send a soldier off to war, you know, when they come back home, we wouldn't say you don't have the right to be down about what you saw over there or you don't have the right to have post-traumatic stress syndrome or, or, or things like that. Or, you know, when, when, when people, uh, when a child is in a household that's abusive and not even physically but verbally abusive and he needs a psychologist to just get by because of some of the things that's been said to him, repeatedly over and over in life and, and it left such an impression and a burden on his soul and his mind, you know, we don't look at that child and go, stop feeling sorry for yourself. You need to, you don't need to see a psychologist. You don't need any help. You should be able to get over this. You know, this doesn't concern you or that happened when you were little, so you should be able to get by as an adult. You know, we don't look at them when we give them that. But for some reason, when it comes to the black society and, 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 and black people, you know, we look at the black race and, and a lot of us are well-studied in, in our heritage. A lot of us look at these, you know, you shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be humanly possible, you guys, to just get over reading a book that tells you how black people were done in America. <laughs> you know, that's not something that anyone, and I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about black people, you know, for anyone who reads uh, uh, the stories or, or the truths on uh, pre uh, pre slave America or, or or when black people were in bondage in this country. Anytime you read that history, man, and you can understand that narrative, and you can put yourself in that place, you shouldn't be able to get over that. That something should bother you inside. 
is something should bother your mind. And and see, when you study things like that and then you go about on your life and you start dealing with people and then, you know, you've been told in school that it's not like that anymore. Uh, like I tell my kids, it's not like that anymore. And, and and then something like this Eric Garner situation happens to your dad or your brother or your sister. And, you know, that's going to take a toll on a human mind, man. And you can't help but not. Uh, uh, be able to get by if something like that happens to you. I mean, those are traumatic events. So there's a lot of people out there who can't get by, Rocco or, and Kelly. There's a lot of people who can't let go what they've read in their mind. Or they can't let go that one time the police threw them on the car and, and called them a nigger or, or that one time that neighbor said you, you, you little black this or, you know, the one time the teacher said this about them. And there may be few people. I happen to believe personally in my life that the racists or the bigots, I'll say, I think that the bigots don't outnumber the people who love everybody. I don't. I think they're a small portion of society today, and they speak very loud, and we give them power when they start talking like that, and we make them the main or the primitive focus about the things that we're talking about. But I can't help but to think that there are people out there, unlike myself, who can't discern and who can't get by and who can't let it go. And it bothers them, and they need some form of therapy because of what was said to them when they were children or even when they were adults and how someone acted towards them. Like my stepfather tells me, you know, and he goes back to just the 70s, and he he points to a restaurant that we go to in Wilson, and I won't even call the name because I don't want to slander them, but he he tells a story of when those buildings over there in that part of Wilson, North Carolina, was the country, and their house was in the middle of a cornfield out there. And when they went to this restaurant and that's so popular now, they had to go to the back door and they threw the food out to them after they took their money. They threw the food out to them and they would let people that were inside of the restaurant eating, chase them down the road and run them down on cars and spit at them and throw rocks at them and things like that. And we're talking about in the 70s. So you don't think that this man, my stepdad, God, God, and and I love him, man, because he's not a, he's not a, a, a bigot. You know, he don't hate anybody. He, he loves people. So to go through that in first person and still be able to love everybody and people that look like those who did that to you, that's nothing but God, man. So I think that's a special thing. You know what I mean? But there are people out there who can't do that. I'm sorry. It, it, it is like, what it is. I don't like it, but it, this is just reality. In all, in all those stories, you remember, you, you could see past the narrative, the way they want to polarize us. If individuals, individuals do something that's racist, obviously that doesn't indict everyone then who's white or black. Absolutely. But they want us to that's think right. that because because they want to keep us divided. And as long as we're divided, we're never going to get at the real issues. We're never going to realize, yeah, we're not going to talk about the Holocaust or abortion. We're not going to talk about, yeah, you know, all those people dying. Uh, not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about, you know, the, the federalization of the police. We're not going to talk about the militarization of the police. And that's the way they want it. But again, you go back to that just that simple context of individual rights. When an individual's rights are violated, everyone loses. But they don't want us to know that because if we don't know that, then they keep us distracted and it works well. It's, it's, it's real, Rocco. You know, I, I used to say, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I stopped saying it some time ago, I used to say, I think back in the 90s. And, and you know, I'll pose this to you, Rocco. I, I'll pose this to you. In, in America, it's very easy to talk about the Holocaust, or you can talk about any uh, 
civil disorder that happened in America, but you can't talk about black slavery in America without people saying, uh, what's wrong with you? Get over it. You know what I mean? And and I think that uh, we should be able to talk about uh, uh, what slavery did to uh, the black race and the relationship with the black and the white race in America, even up until now, without anyone saying that they hate each other. Like, we're having a great conversation now about it. And and there's I don't believe that you feel that I hate you uh, just because no. we're you know we're talking about a conversation like this. So you know it, it's it's just amazing to me how people can say you know you need to get over it, but you know we can talk about our forefathers all day, or we can talk about the Holocaust all day, or you know we can talk about all these other events that happened in American history. But when you talk about the slavery issue, it's no you need to get over it. It's not like that anymore. And just that reason, you know, just that reason alone is why we have so many issues uh, with black and white people in the media where where it's a touchy subject all the time because we haven't talked about it. It's like that one thing. It's like that gay brother you got on Thanksgiving. You know, you can't mention the gay brother or you can't mention the drunken uncle or, you know, you can't miss it. You know, you, you can't mention stuff like that because it's a touchy subject. And the minute you do an argument pops up. But when right. you have an issue that you all realize was an issue and you talk about it and you get it out and you discuss it, it normally makes everything better. So, you know, when people control it, the language in the conversations, we never win anyway. Well, I, I, I hear you. I think it's, I think it's like a you know, double-edged sword. Uh, yeah, people know they rewrote our textbooks, and that's part of the problem with you know, 100 years of progressive or collectivist thought. And that's that's a real problem with controlling education. And even the so-called conservatives, they don't even want to talk about uh, getting the government out of education, which would empower us as a nation, empower us as individuals. But in the narrative, they don't mind if we talk about race as long as it divides us. What you're saying, you can have discussions that would unite us and would be enlightened. The, the key issue in all this, in my mind, is when you look at what happened in the states. You know, they talk about the civil rights movement. Okay, we got rid of um, the government, got rid of uh, discrimination. All right, segregation. All right, that was there. You talk about young know, Negro baseball leagues back in the day, things like that. But the fact is now, and I know you've seen the numbers at post segregation. I mean, post civil rights movement. The black family has been decimated. I mean, you know, over 70% of black children being born illegitimate. So, yeah. this again, we have to focus on where the real issues are. And the issues are the government has pursued these policies like welfare, aid to families with dependent children. They knew when they debated that in the 60s, they knew it was going to give an incentive for girls to be unwed mothers. And it did, and they won't get rid of that program. So, these are the real issues that would help the black and blacks and whites help us as individuals, help the family. Because remember what they're doing in the big picture. They want, they hate the family, the new world order, you know, the, the political elites, they hate the family. So what you see a lot in the black community, they beta test a lot of these destructive policies in the black community yeah. because a lot of people at the top are racist. <laughs> but they don't want us to talk about those. They don't want to talk. I mean, if you were right or say a white or a black man, or if we could get, if Fox News would interview us or CNN, if we had a national platform, and you or I said, regardless of a racial difference, we need to get rid of welfare, it's racist, they would attempt to destroy us. But it would be true. <laughs> well, can I, let me interject here, if you don't mind. Yeah. So you just said they beta test things in the black community. But not only do they beta test things in the black community, 
the media does it too because you gave the statistic that 70% of black households are um, are led by single mothers. And uh, yeah, well, I said 70% of children, 70% of black children yeah, are born illegitimate. Yeah. Okay. You said that, and the president actually said that in 2008 when he was running. But 50% of all children in America are born illegitimately now. So what, yes, 70% in the black community, that's the statistic. When they throw numbers out like that, I don't know how we check on that because they they didn't call me an ass. I don't know who they call an ass. Um, But... They, they they say that, they throw that around, but the statistic for the U.S. is 50%. Um, mm-hmm. So that problem that is being made a black problem is an American problem. They oh, yeah, say yeah, black on black crime, yeah. and they're talking about that, and they make blacks. Um, it, when you talk about welfare, that blacks, oh, mm-hmm. it, it's an issue. But let's be honest, if welfare were not, benefiting more whites than it was blacks, it would not exist. If it were just a program making sure that black children didn't have fathers and that, you know, people were staying in housing projects, it wouldn't even exist. It wouldn't be worth the budget. So welfare is not going anywhere because it actually benefits um, more whites than it does blacks. But when we're, when we talk about the narrative we give this idea that Reagan gave her the welfare queen and that they're black. When we talk about crime, the, 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 a lot of pundits have thrown out here recently, black on black crime. But in every race, the majority of people are victimized by the people who look like them. Because in this country, we are naturally suspicious of people who don't look like us, you know. Right. Um, and so, so it is in the black community, so it is in the white community, so it is in the Hispanic community. But again, the narrative in the media is that it's a black, that black on black crime is a white problem. Uh, but if you listen to the news here and you hear about all these men killing their wives in Cary and Raleigh and in Wake County in North Carolina, these are white people killing white folks, you know, but I don't ever see anyone on Facebook. I don't ever hear anybody in the media like, let's stop this white on white crime is ridiculous. We've got to start because there seems to be, in my opinion, from what I can tell, no collective white until there's a collective black. So when it's white versus black, all of a sudden it's us. But I don't think that white America when a young woman is on welfare believes that that speaks for their whole race or even for their family. Whereas because these statistics keep coming at us with the media, all of a sudden it's a black collective that somebody is on welfare. And so, I mean, I once had a a white liberal ask me, and I'm a Republican, he he asked me, he said, don't you feel – some sense of, gosh, how did he put it, um, like kinsmanship with blacks who are on welfare or with blacks who are struggling. And I told him, no more than I feel with blacks who are in jail. 
in my opinion, I come from a strong people, a strong people who up from slavery um, not very long ago and up from segregated schools. You know, I'm on the, the, the talk show of a conservative black talk show host. So, you know, I come from a people who have who've worked their way up literally from nothing. And I and so people who don't work, to me that's foreign to me. I don't really know many people like that. And you know, just the same with people who are in jail. I do know some people who are in jail. That's not my circle. I'm I've not been and I don't plan to go. So just because there are people who are in jail doesn't make them my people in that sense. Do you, do you kind of understand what I'm trying to convey here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me clarify. Let me clarify what I was talking about with the illegitimacy and welfare of the family. Okay, it's uh, when you look at the numbers. Okay, and I say they beta test it. The people that are in control. Okay, I'm talking about the, the elite. Okay, not not someone in just another neighbor. I mean, the people are billionaires. Of course, you know, the, the banksters, yeah. right? The Federal Reserve, you know, the the the, uh, the national and international banks control the Federal Reserve. J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Goldman Sachs. Okay, the people, the financial interests that control the politics. Okay, that control both parties in this country. When I say they beta test in the black community, the people at the top hate the family. They don't just hate; they hate the blacks in particular, but they hate all of us. Now. When these government programs were started, like Aid to Families with Dependent Children, you could check it out. When they debated that in the 60s, some people that were saying that weren't, that weren't corrupt in Congress said, if you pass this legislation, it's going to create an incentive for girls to have children out of wedlock. And then the people that were for it at the time, like now deceased you know, Edward Kennedy, Massachusetts Senator, said, no, that's insane. Now we know the numbers years later, and they won't get rid of it. The pro the program doesn't persist because it helps white people more than black people, and obviously there's because there's more white people in the country, there's more more white people in the program. You look at the percentage, though. Same thing with the illegitimacy. Blacks being a minority, it's catastrophically it's, it's a tragedy when any baby is aborted. But to think of the national tragedy that 40% of black children are aborted is insane. But they don't talk about that. But in any case, they hate the family indiscriminately. They hate the blacks in particular, and they test a lot of these programs. They push it through the black communities, knowing it's going to hurt all of us. That's what they want, because they know as more people are dependent upon the government, wherever that government program is, they know that weakens the family. It's not. It's like a vacuum. You have the institutions. God, God established the home. He established the family. He established the church. He established government. When the institution of the family, which is primary, that's the foundational institution. When that is weakened, it's not a vacuum. What, what institution becomes more powerful? The government. And this is what they want. They want to break us. <laughs> and, yeah, it's worked very well. That's why, again, you won't see any Republicans talking about getting government out of the education business. I mean, that's a collectivist. That's a Marxist concept. You won't, you won't talk about people getting rid of these programs because they know it's meant to enslave us. And it does work well. So they want to keep us divided by race. But as things go on, once again, I go back to my individual liberty thing or individual rights. When an individual's rights are violated, we all lose. But they don't want to. They don't want. They do not want us to think in terms of individual rights because if they could, if they could get us polarized, if they get us segregated. We'll just keep on. We'll keep on fixated about the racial stuff. And as each day goes on, yeah, 
the the, you know, the government gets more powerful, family gets weaker, and yes, that's what we got to change. That's the narrative we got to change is that the government is attacking us as individuals. We need our individual rights back. As individuals, as we're empowered, everyone does better, and that that's what we got to park on. That's what we got to work on. That's what we got to stress. I like that. Any any solutions, you guys? Do, do you guys have any solutions that will uh, uh, sustain all of us? You know that that will kind of uh, turn around some of these things that we're seeing, like with this Aaron Garner case. Are things going to get any better? In, in what do you think, Kelly? Are things going to get any better in short? In short, no. My personal solution is this: I, I'm a Christian, and don't do me like CNN. Don't cut me off because I'm talking about God. But um, my thing is this, I'm, I'm not going to be quiet on these issues. So because I'm black and because I'm conservative, you know, like you said, Puzzy, that puts you in different circles sometimes. So I'm going to speak up in these different groups. I'm going to speak up to people who look like me. Um, I believe in non-academic education. I believe that in every situation, um, we can gain more knowledge. I think that this um, dialogue that we're having on your show and in America right now is is something for every family. Every family in America should be talking about this. Um, and so uh, I teach a Bible study. I believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ. So as I encounter people, you know, witnessing to them, um, because certainly if they adopt um his mindset on things, and they will see all people. But ultimately, the Bible tells us that this world is not going to get better. But what I do believe is that we can save save individuals more and more and more and pluck people out of of hell's fire, and I think that that's what we have to do. So, you know, I used to think, you know, one, one vote, I don't believe in that now because I've, I've seen the erosion of my rights to vote um, just through some decisions that have been made through the courts, through executive orders. Um, but that, at the very least, I can do that. Rocco, two minutes. Yeah, at the individual level, I agree with her. I mean, the most important message we could give to change individuals not, is you know, we change the collective through changing individual hearts. and. That is the gospel. You know, repent, understand you're a sinner before a holy God, trust Christ, and you have eternal life. As you're changed spiritually, that will change the way you, you, all of your relationships. At the political level, again, I've just said before, we have to decentralize power. Uh, the, the neoliberals want us to believe if we get the federal government involved in anything and get better, it's always going to get worse, always, at any level. So we need to get back to states' rights. That's the true or the true meaning of federalism. Make sure the states tell the states get rid of federal funding for everything. Truly shrink the government. The states do have that power. I mean, it's clear in the Tenth Amendment. There's only limited enumerated powers of the federal government. The states started to realize that. Like you know, in West Virginia, for example, they're shutting down clean coal burning power plants. They could kick out the EPA tomorrow. They just need the power. They need the backbone to do it. No more, brother. And I have a yep. long, drawn-out solution, but I, I, I'll i say this. I, I agree with both you all, and I think that things will get worse before they get better. And, uh, you know, maybe we can build on that next week. We got to go, folks. 30 seconds. Thanks for listening to the KLP Radio Show. Shout-out to you, Kelly. Shout-out to my brother, Rocco P., who comes on the show with us. 
uh, every fourth Sunday, he hosts a show called Last Sunday with Rocco P right here on WM3G, excuse me, WM3G radio show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, God is love, love is God. We are out of here. Number one, you are B.I.G. in my book. Have a good week. Remember, we run Monday, man. Don't let Monday-